Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Robert N. was recorded on December 16th, 2021. I introduced myself. So, so my topic is thriving adulthood. And I introduced myself as a thriving adult. And I, I wanted to actually say something about that. Um, I, I introduced myself as a thriving adult for two reasons. Uh, one, because it's true. Um, and the second reason is because I'm a guy who got sober, found this program, picked up a red book, worked the steps, started pairing to myself. And, you know, I'm no special cowboy. So if I can thrive, you can thrive. And so I wanted to kind of say that right up front. Um, I'm going to stick to the format, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to focus a lot on trauma um, and I'll come back to that. And, and I wanted to talk a little bit about what it was like. And my childhood can be described the following way. So this is my story in a nutshell. I felt unloved, unwanted, unseen, unheard, and untouched. So that's my story. And, and the reason I say it that way is I could go into hours of examples and whatever, but I want to focus on wellness, wholeness, and thriving. Um, and so um, here's another, another tidbit of miscellaneous, meaningless information about me, but it's unusual. Um, I don't read books very much. I can count on two hands, maybe two hands, the number of books that I've read in my life. And there's a story behind that, which I'm not going to share. Let's just say my father's commitment to reading books instead of spending intimate time with my mother was a thing. And so it turns out two things, two reasons I'm bringing this up. That has served me very well in my recovery. because. Um, if I pick, I, I, I tried to read books in when I got sober. The other thing is I got sober in 1984 and I waited exactly one year because no major decisions for the first year uh, until I went to my first ACA meeting. And I went to my first ACA meeting in New York City. That's not significant. Um, I guess the other thing to keep in mind is some of us come back for a while and get well and keep coming back. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. So where was I? Anyway, so um, here's the other thing. I was talking about uh, why I was mentioning something for two reasons, and I forgot the second reason. There was a time when what just happened would have brought me to my knees emotionally. You wouldn't know that, but I would dissociate because, oh my God, my kids would say, 
what's happening? You forgot. They're going to see that you've forgotten. The da, da, da. So I don't live that way anymore. So I'm grateful. So if I lose my train of thought, I'll just tell you I lost my train of thought and, and I'll either pick it back up or I won't. That's just kind of how it goes. Um, oh, reading books. So the, the reason, so that served me because if I picked up, I mean, how many books are there just on recovery? How many books are there on trauma? How many books are there on parenting? Not a whole lot, but they're, they're starting to proliferate. So I guess my point is, is I started reading books when I got sober. I shouldn't say I started. I bought a couple of books when I got sober. And what I noticed was I couldn't get through the first chapter. And I, I was very frustrated by it, but I used to get nauseous when I read these books. And it took me a while to sort this out. And I sorted it out because it was, so let's say, and if there's a Sally here, my apologies up front. So let's say Sally Jones writes a book on recovery. So I start reading Sally's book and about into the first chapter, I realized that this is Sally's thing. This is not my thing. And, um, and so I stopped reading books. I bought some that I kept because the energy of the book seemed to be a good idea, but I didn't read them. And that really served me well, because as I'll tell you shortly, hopefully, that when I, when I started to become conscious of my trauma, I started to look into my body for what to do next. And anyway, so I'll come back to that. Uh, but anyway, the other reason about reading books is, and I don't know this, but I've heard it like I had a wife who read enough books for the two of us for a lifetime and she was embarrassed that I didn't read. So, but she would have 10 books and sometimes people read books. This is what I hear. So I pick up a book, I start reading it. And then I decide maybe I'll read the end of this book. I don't know why people do that, but they read the ending. And, and again, this is not a earth shattering story other than to say, Another way to describe my recovery is it's a love story with a happy ending. And, and I want to emphasize that because thriving is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And, and we all deserve to thrive. After what happened to us, we deserve to thrive. So that's that. So, so I, you know, I talk about my recovery. All right. So I'm going to talk about my recovery, which to me is more of a healing journey, and it's really a parenting journey. And so I'm going to talk about it in three phases. And I have some short notes here to make sure I don't get out into the weeds because I've already been in the weeds like two or three times already. I'm going to talk about the big red book framework of my recovery. That's the first phase of my recovery. The second phase of my recovery is something I call call to parent. And it's, it's, I became aware of my trauma and I started to parent myself in a very different way from the red book. And I'll talk about that. It's not super different, but it's different. And then the third phase of this is really thriving adulthood. So I, I, um, I spent many, many years living in the Bay area, working in high tech, and I was actually a quite competent sales professional in high tech. And now I'm, I'm in Santa Fe and I'm in Santa Fe. That's probably worth saying too. So, um, so I've been doing this a long time <laughs> and I, in meditation one morning about, I'll guess it's about over about two and a half years ago, maybe longer. 
I started getting flashes of Santa Fe. And so I'm going to skip over some of the minutia details. I started getting flashes of Santa Fe because I'd been here before a long time ago. Didn't think anything about it, it passed through. I let it pass through, but it kept coming back. And, and so I started paying attention to it. And then I journeyed here for a week to see actually three years ago. And I stayed here for a week. And, you know, by this time, I can actually, you know, so the energy here is ridiculous. And, and, and I mean that in a really good way. Anybody who's been to Santa Fe, I mean, the other thing I've got, I, I had to say is up front, this is my journey. This is my road to thrivinghood. There is more than one road to, to Rome, as they say. And so my experience may be very different from yours. It's just mine and mine alone. But hopefully some of it might resonate. Um, anyway, so see, I got now I'm now I'm lost. I'm out in the weeds again. So where was I? I'm in my trauma journey. Um, anyway, I let me restart. So the first phase is so I got sober, and a year into it, because no major changes, I literally waited one year. So I was a good boy. That's the story underneath all the trauma. I was a good little boy. And so I went to my sponsor, God bless him. And I said to him, and I, I don't remember where I found out about ACA, um, but I, I, both my parents were drunks. And so I went to my sponsor and said, hey, is it okay? Asking for permission. Is it okay that I go to, a, to, a, um, to an ACA meeting? And I picked a really gentle, kind, loving sponsor. And, and he said to me, and I was nervous because I thought, man, am I pushing the envelope here? Like I'm asking to do something else than I don't think. And anyway, he looked at me and said, why don't you go try it out? And that was like a novel thing to me. I thought, oh my God, I never thought of that. So anyway, so I started and in the beginning, the meetings were huge. And let me just not go all this detail. So what happened is when the red book came out. That was significant for me. I was in marriage number three. It had been broken for 19 of the 20 years because we were both adult children. And there was nobody, there were no adults to connect as adults. And so we would have, you know, one side or both sides dysregulated. So, you know, that just didn't work out. And so um, when I picked up the red book and I I've started a lot of meetings, actually not a lot, um, but I, my share. And I started a meeting and the red book to me, first of all, God bless Bill W. and Dr. Bob, because if, if they didn't do what they do, I wouldn't be sitting here doing what I do, what I'm doing. And so um, the book talked about trauma and um, it talks about it in kind of a general sense. And, you know, and again, I had some of the stuff I'll share kind of upset some people. We have some new people here. Look, this is just my experience. The book's long in the tooth. It's kind of old, but it's breakthrough. And they now have a parenting book that they've published. So that's a different topic. But um, I, I figured that if both my parents were alcoholics, then whatever the book said, I must have it double. I mean, you know, this is not logical thinking, but this is what I thought. And so they talk about trauma and, and what happened to me is I had a panic attack 
And the details are important. I, I, was, I was out of my body for about an hour. And in that hour, two things happened. One is, is I was introduced to my traumatized children. Literally, they, they, they were in fear of their life. And I was sitting in my kitchen of an apartment after separating from wife number three, all by myself, no physical or threatening danger in my, in my house. And, um, but, but I had it, you know, we, we call it a bunch of things. I got triggered. Um, I was activated. Um, I like to call it dysregulation. That's a term that I picked up along the way. My nervous system was dysregulated. Anyway, so that experience changed my life. In that moment, if you'd ask me, hey, it changed my life in ways that were exciting and terrorizing because I was introduced to my trauma. And so now I'm going to get into the, the, what I call my big red book framework. So I worked, I've worked the steps several times. I should have brought that up, uh, up front. Here's the, the value of the ACA 12 steps. And I've worked Tony's too. So I'll talk about it in a second. So to me, the, to me, what was, so everything became trauma-based. So in other words, I had a sponsor, I'm working the steps, I'm going to meetings, I'm being of service. But what became clear to me in that panic attack is the core issue for me is the trauma. And so so what I started to do is I started to do what the Red Book told me to do. It told me that there were tools that I could use if something, if the wheels came off, I could use some tools. Those tools were meetings, sponsorship, being sponsored, being of service, traditional kind of tools. And so that really made a difference for me because, you know, I started to realize what it meant to be triggered, what it meant to be dysregulated and what it meant to be dissociated. And, and this may be true for some of you that are in this place too. It's, I was dissociated my whole life. That's when I started to notice that some of the terms from, that were inherited from AA some of them really didn't match, like hitting a bottom. I thought, are you kidding me? I've been in a bottom since I was four. Um, and yeah, I had these other episodes. So everything for me became around trauma. And so I started to use these tools. And then, you know, what I already mentioned, the other thing I graduated to, which is also in the red book, is affirmations. I started to use affirmations. All right, you guys are shaking your heads. Here's what started to occur to me. It's like what I realized is, oh, and then along comes Tony. Uh, big fan, big, big fan. And my view is that somehow he got lost in the shuffle. The man founds our program and he's kind of lost in the shuffle. But, but Tony steps, that's the other thing. If you're new, we've got two sets of steps. And, you know, people have to figure out how to work with those. And it's unique to each of us. But what I really liked about Tony's steps is that the 12 steps, you know, that were modified from AA, I don't know why we say that. What is it? One word's changed. It's like, but the yellow book and step four are pretty amazing because working the steps multiple times, and I'm going to say something that it's not often said. So I'm done working the steps. 
And the reason I'm done working the steps is I've gotten from the steps what I needed. And what I got from the steps that what I needed was uncovering and discovering the nature of my trauma, which is right out of Tony's steps. And so the reason that I stopped working them is because I, I, I got that information. So I didn't need to revisit the nature of my trauma. Once I got that I was traumatized, I didn't have to go over the causes over and over again. So in other words, if, if and I don't know why I use this, I use this. If I have tuberculosis, how I caught it becomes irrelevant once I diagnose it correctly, right? So, so anyway, so, so what I started to realize is that, that substitution, so here's the way I'll say it. So when I started to parent myself is I had this panic attack, it became very clear to me that I, what, what trauma was. And I started to realize that uh, I need to look into this. I need to look into this thing called trauma. And so I did. And then I got a trauma therapist. Now, the other thing I'll say about trauma therapy is you can go to almost any therapist on the planet. And there are, you know, in the red book, God bless it, it's a little out of date. Now, it, it gives some guidance about what I should say to the therapist. But here's what I know to be true is there would be no therapist on the entire planet that if I asked the question, are you familiar with trauma? There would, would no one would say no. They would all say yes. Now, what I know about that is there are people that are familiar with trauma because if I'm a therapist, I've had at least one or two courses on trauma. So I'm familiar with trauma. But then there is this whole camp of therapy where people are skilled and trained and certified in diagnosing and treating trauma. So this is just Robert throwing this out there. If you're looking into, if, if trauma is the issue, I want to deal with somebody who's trained and skilled to, who understands the nervous system, the, the neurobiology of the nervous system, the neuroscience of the brain, and knows how to regulate a dysregulated nervous system. Because literally going into, into therapy, I'm a dysregulated nervous system. And so over the years, through parenting, I've started to co-regulate my inner children's dysregulated nervous system that was frozen in childhood. And, and, and literally, uh, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So what I, here's what I realized. I realized that when my kids, so I, so I have biological kids and the distinction between them and my inner kids is I call my inner kids kids. And I call my, my, I have four children and I call them. And, and then by the way, all of them could be at this meeting. There was nobody home when I was parenting them. Uh, and I have to say, I'm grateful because I've mended those relationships because now I show up as their parent. Um, let's see. And so what I realized is when my kids have a reaction and I become attuned to that reaction, I can now start to discern feelings, thoughts, and body sensations. And so what I realized is if I looked at at what I call my trauma signature. So, so in other words, I have all these reactions and, you know, when I started to pay attention, I realized that these can be boiled down. And, and so what I, what, here's what I got. What I got was these reactions were coming to me for a reason and they weren't 
coming to me to get rid of. They were coming to me to inform. And this was not obvious at first. Everything I did, I had, it was hard. But so what I realized is why would I, why would I substitute something for what I need to pay attention to? Why would I assign, why would I affirm over the top of a message? And so I, and again, this is just me. So I stopped using those tools and I stopped using those, those substitutions, affirmations as a parenting tool, because to me, they were general purpose. And if I've got a kid that's hurting, if I start reading affirmations, like what difference does it make? It has nothing to do with what's going on with the child. But anyway, that's just me. So anyway, so that's, that, that's kind of my first phase of recovery. And I, I haven't been watching the time. Huh? Does anybody know how much time I have? You, you've got 30 more minutes, Robert. Oh, perfect. 15, 15, 15, hopefully. Okay. So anyway, so, so now I'm going to therapy and I'm going to EMDR. And so I've already said that trauma has become the core issue. It, 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 it took center stage and it has taken center stage since I had the panic attack. Do I, do I sponsor people? I do. Do I go to meetings? I do. Am I of service? Like all over the place. And so, so, you know, I didn't lose track of the traditional recovery program, but this experience took me into my body. And for those of you who are trauma oriented, there's a, there's a really good book that I have a copy of and have never read called the body keeps score. Um, Cause I know what's in it. You know, I sponsor enough people who have read it so I can get the details from people who have read it. So, so I, so, and here's the thing I will say is looking into my body never occurred to me until I got to AA. And then all of a sudden in AA, they're telling me like, what's your part? And then I go, what do you mean? What's my part? I'm not the part. They're the problem. And so for the first time I was asked to look into my own experience and that's, that was, that began to be helpful to me. But, but the other thing I will tell you is when I got into this second phase, which I call call to parent, um, what I realized is this is, if this is the core issue, trauma, then I want to become knowledgeable so I understand what's going on and get professional help. But I also wanted to understand the things that I didn't need to do anymore. This is, again, a little out there. So, for example, I'll give you an example, and, and I'll, be, I'll be mindful and move on. But a lot of the, I mentioned this already. So a lot of, in my, my, my view, and now that the guidebook is out, that's a new statement for the, for a, for WSO. And it took them three years to write it and, and it's out now, but in the red book, there are a lot of terms that were inherited from AA. And, and it's not surprising because if you know the story, Tony A started going to a meeting in Manhattan of, of Alateen and it almost went belly up and he invited a lot of people from AA. And so it's no wonder, and it started to grow pretty exponentially. And so, but I'll give you an example, and hopefully this is helpful. I'll give you one example of a classic term that gives you some insight as to how I did what I did. So there's a, there's a, there's a term that's been around forever called relapse, right? It's a, there's a relapse in AA, and relapse in AA is pretty straightforward. I either take a drink or I don't. Um, although I did 
eat uh, gray coupon mustard one time and freaked out, called my sponsor and thought I had a relapse. But that's just an aside. So there is a, there is a, yeah, Brian, I'm just saying that I used to be a very frightened child who wanted to get sober and stay sober, but I didn't have a lot of adult capacity. So one day I made a sandwich with great coupon mustard and I hadn't had it for a while. And those of you who eat great coupon mustard, it sends a shot up the nose, right? And so it sent this shot up my nose and I looked at the jar and I said, oh shit, there's wine in here. Now, again, this is not a thoughtful adult view of life, but I, I spent 15 minutes panicking. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And I call my sponsor, I'm off in the weeds, I'll come back, I promise. I call my sponsor and he said to me, Robert, um, did, you, did you make that sandwich with gray coupon mustard to get high or to get drunk? And I went, well, of course not. And then he laughed, he said, then maybe you could just, it, it's okay. You would think today I would say, oh, you're right. Cool. I spent a couple of days going over and over in my mind. Do I have to declare a new sobriety day? So that gives you some kind of idea of the effects of being traumatized as a child, because that's the thinking of like a seven-year-old child who nobody has ever seen and, you know, doesn't have any conscious awareness of, of adult behavior. Anyway, so yeah, I'm off in the weeds and I am, where am I? I'm, I'm in the parenting journey, right? Yeah, I'm going to have to pick it up at a, in the journey at a different spot. So I started, oh, this relapse thing. Yeah, so, so the definition of a relapse in AA is pretty straightforward. The definition of a relapse in ACA, it's similar, but it's not, you know, it's not taking a drink. So relapse in ACA means um, I stopped going to meetings. The, the laundry list behaviors start to manifest. Um, I might not be calling my sponsor. And, and, and even though it doesn't say so in the book, my history with AA is, look, if I take a drink, there are a couple of things that are going to happen. One is if I, I may not go back. That's the first thing. If I go back, I got to own it. I've got to own it with my sponsor and I've got to own it in, at meeting level. The other thing that probably will happen, although not always, is my sponsor may say, Robert, so you haven't got this powerless thing down yet, do you? So you probably should start over and work the steps. You should start step one again. And the ultimate thing, which I've never understood, is I could also get fired. Now, again, in the, in the Red Book, it doesn't say this, but the, the reason I'm bringing this up is that when I started to look at these terms from a trauma perspective, relapse, here's what it meant to me. A relapse in ACA to me is an inner child who's, who's dysregulated and there's no one there. And the reason, and so that's a very different definition. And the reason I like this definition, because if I don't diagnose the source of what's going on in me, I might apply the wrong remedy. So in other words, if I, if I have a relapse the way I defined it and my sponsor tells me to work step one again, it's like, what are you kidding me? What, what are you kidding me? There, those steps were never designed, personal opinion, those steps were never designed to heal trauma. If they were, you'd go to, you'd go to a therapist and the first thing they say is, Robert, let's work the 12 steps. They were there to save people from wet brain and then they're there to, to 
to create a framework for life. But trauma is not just another behavior that I need to stop. It's a neurological condition that goes all the way back to childhood. Anyway, you, 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 anyway, so this second phase became very specific to me is I started to parent my kids in such a way that I would call it, what I would call it would be active, conscious, and purposeful parenting. And what I mean by that is, and it wasn't like this in the beginning, but what it evolved to is if my inner kids are dysregulated, then it's my job as the parent to address, to attend to that to the best of my ability 24 seven. Now that's a big order for new people. It's like, were you kidding me? Um, but I will say this is that, so if I have a child that's not okay, I might be at work. Now, if I'm at work, I may not be able to, uh, to tend to this child as if I were at home in meditation. But anyway, what I wanted to say was, um, what started to happen is that the, I started to pay close attention to what was going on. And I can go into a lot of detail, but, but what I wanna say is that this parenting is very, very difficult. And it's, it's what really served me the most was being familiar with trauma. So in other words, my kids have traumatic reactions because they were traumatized. And so I started to educate my kids because when they would have a reaction, they would freak out. They would have the reaction and then they would think there's something wrong with me. I think I'm crazy. I'm the problem. And I started to really talk to them as a parent would to a real child, even though I never did that to my kids. And I started to educate my kids and I started to comfort my kids and I started to soothe my kids. And, and I started to do that on a regular basis. And so, so that's, kind of, that's kind of the second phase. And now I wanna talk about what I call the thriving adulthood phase. And now I'm gonna kind of shift gears and go into a whole different way of looking at this. So in other words, you know, we talk about, you know, trauma as a child and being triggered and all that stuff. Here's what I know is true for me. It's, it's about the, the dysregulation of a nervous system. And so, for example, another radical thing is this has nothing to do with alcohol. Nothing. Alcohol has nothing to do with it. So when I look and the reason I say that is because both of my parents were drunks. I became a drunk. And so, yeah, okay, alcohol's involved. But, but what I now know about trauma is addictions are, are, are behaviors to either comfort, soothe, or shift underlying trauma. And so in other words, the way I would say this differently is both of my parents were dysregulated. And my parents were dysregulated because their parents were dysregulated. And what dysregulation means is that, that um, they have no sense of, of self-regulation. And as a dysregulated person, I have no capacity to see you. I can barely see myself. And so in a healthy family, what here's what happens. So I, I have parents and, and, and even in healthy families, kids have traumatic experiences, right? So I have a traumatic experience. And just for the sake of, of show and tell, this is my nervous system now. So my nervous system, when I get dysregulated, it either goes into chaos, fight, flight, or I freeze. 
So let's use fight flight because it's easier to show. So I have a traumatic reaction and my parents aren't dysregulated. So what happens? They notice this. They notice that Robert's not okay. And so they come to me and I'm, this is, this is me. And so my parents, one or both, will actually spend time with me to comfort me, to, to soothe me, depending on what's going on, or to co-regulate me. And so when they witness me, a set of eyeballs and a heart that's reaching out with love and comfort, is my dysregulated nervous system calms down and it goes into a state of stability. Now, the significance of that is that, and they, and they don't do it just once, they do it whenever it happens. So because that happens, what happens to me in this circumstance is I become aware of self-regulation. I actually become aware of what it feels like to be safe. Now, I will tell you, this blew me out of the water when I learned this, is feeling safe as a child or, or feeling safe at anybody is a multi-dimensional experience. There's a neurological component to it. There is a emotional component to it. There's a physical component to it. And, and so in other words, I know how, what it feels like to be safe. And so what does that mean? That means that as I grow up, then I have what they call resilience. And resilience in trauma terms is the capacity to create positive outcomes. So in a healthy family, I actually can create self-safety by myself. And then when I start socializing, I start socializing with people that I feel safe with. All right, so that's, that's one way to look at it. Now let's look at what happened to me, which, and then again, I don't want to project on all you all, but my guess is this is pretty common with us. So I didn't have that. So I had dysregulation all over God's creation as a child. And I could give you stories, but they don't really matter. And so I didn't have anybody there. And so when nobody's there, the nervous system takes over. And so the nervous system is trying to regulate me. And, and how I respond to that is by doing adaptive acts to feel better, right? Like, and this is just the way it is. I started masturbating at a very, very young age. Long before, I don't know what the Johnson and Masters and Johnson book says, you know, what healthy children start doing that. But whatever that age is, I'm way younger. And the reason I did it is because it, it soothed me and it, it shifted my it shifted my dysregulation. I didn't co-regulate, but it shifted it and I, I felt better. Now, here's the thing about adaptive behaviors is that if they can become maladaptive, like my alcohol consumption became maladaptive. I did it at first to feel different and then it became a thing. Anyway, so, so I didn't get dysregulated. And, and again, this may sound like a simple thing. I had no idea what it felt like to be safe no idea. That's very significant. The other thing that, um, so I had no way of, of healthy self-regulation. And so here's another thing that's kind of upside down for most people. I now look back on my, my healing 
as a child. And as a child, I was suffering. There's just no two ways about it. And yet, when I look at things like this masturbation, when I look, you know, sometimes people will say there are these, there are these behaviors that um, saved our lives. I forget how we would say, you know, what do they call survival traits? So we were survived. I now look at that a little bit differently. So let's say, for example, those of us on this path, there is things called the laundry list traits. There are things called people pleasing. There are things called denial. There are things called dissociation. And my experience early on was those were things that I wanted to stop doing. And what I will say is all of those come with trauma. They come with the package. And not only do they come with the package, I would say to you that I see all of those things as surrogate parents. So in other words, those behaviors is all I got. Because I got no adult on board and I've got no parents. And so these behaviors actually became surrogate. And, and, and the other reason I bring that up is because I don't know about you, but, you know, laundry list traits, no, don't want to do that. You don't want to get into denial. You certainly don't want to people please. There, there was stigma associated with those behaviors to me. And so when I started to look at this from a nervous system perspective, like, for example, people would say, you know, I, I want to stop dissociating. Look, my body decides when I dissociate and it's dissociating on purpose because it's determined that this is something you can't handle, Jack. So we're going to we're going to do this. And so I guess the point is, is as I started to look at things through the nervous system, I started to realize what a miracle I am. And I'm going to risk a crosstalk here. I think that those of us who come to this fellowship and become aware of trauma and decide to keep doing it anyway, this thing called recovery. Not only do I think that it's the highest form of courage, I think we're very special people. We're very special. It takes a very special person to discover that their nervous system has been dysregulated their whole life and manifests in harmful behavior to self and others. And then we become aware of it. And as soon as we become aware of it, at least in my experience, that opened the door for this frozen, swallowed despair to manifest in my body. This is not for the faint of heart. And so what I want to say is, um, God, you know, forgive me for cross-talking. We are special. You are special. And I'll stop cross-talking. Anyway, so, so now I'm into the thriving phase. And, and, and here's, here's, here's what I'm going to say about that is... So I, I, I live in two worlds. And again, this came to me in the last year. So looking at this whole thing a different way, I live in two worlds. I live in an outer world. And you all are here, at least a part of you is in this world with me. And I live in that world. And I also live in my inner world. And they're, they're, they're not the same. They're very unique worlds. And so let me talk about how that looks to me today. So in this outer world, you're looking at him right now. That's me. And in this world, I am an adult. I, you know, I, you can put adjectives in front of it. You can say, I don't feel like an adult. Doesn't matter. I'm an adult. And that's all I am. 
And I'm the only one who lives here in this outer world. And then I've got an inner world. And that's where everything I've been talking about exists. So I live in that world too, but I don't live in that world as an adult. I live in that world as a parent. And, a, and here's another new thing. So my parent has two dimensions. One is the common one called the loving parent. And the other piece is something we don't really talk about, the tough loving parent. So there is a difference between the two. And, and I do both of those as a parent. That's my job. So in this inner world, in addition to me, I have a bunch of other entities. You, know, you can call them entities. You can call them metaphors, whatever you want to call them, is I've got inner kids. I've got a critical voice, although my critical voice doesn't come around anymore because I ended that relationship. And that's another kind of controversial thing to say. I didn't think he was useful. I wasn't interested in, you know, talking him into utility. He was, a, he was, a, I was going to say a cuss word. He was not helpful, you know, and they say, well, he saved my life. You know, how long ago was that for crying out loud? And how do I really know that he saved my life? You know, how do you really know that? And even if he did, it's like he did one good thing and I'm supposed to like make friends with this guy. He's a waste of time. Anyway, so he used to live there and, and I argue he was an inner world guy. And then also in the inner world are my spiritual entity. So I happen to have a team of deities that, that are my God. So that's the inner world. And, 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 and here's what I would say. I'm the only one that lives in both worlds. But in each world, I have a different role. And so, for example, um, so let's say, let's say I'm in a relationship. God bless us for getting into relationships after what happened to us. Because I've written a lot of checks. Um, is so. So let's say that I'm, I'm in a conversation with a partner, and my teenager gets triggered. Teenagers are more tricky than little kids, because teenagers are usually angry, defiant, and it's like, "Who needs you? I've been fine. Thank you very much." And so my partner says something. My inner child gets triggered. And so one of two things is going to happen. One is that the adult doesn't have the capacity to, 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 well, let me say something before that. What I didn't say was I am the common denominator in both worlds. So stuff that happens in my inner world really doesn't belong in the outer world. But until my parent and my adult have the capacity to parent with resilience, then my inner world unresolved issues show up in the outer world in my speech, in my silence, in my behavior, or in my actions. So my partner says something my teenager wants to either run or attack. And, and so I probably won't attack. That wouldn't be wise. And so, but my behavior in the outer world as the adult is laced with my teenager's anger. So, so to me, what's important is that my parents' responsibility is to parent my children in the inner world. And ultimately my adult's responsibility is to make sure that none of those things 
those feelings, thoughts, and unresolved issues manifest as the adult in this world. I don't know if you're following me, but what I will say is that when my teenager is triggered and I that that issue passes through the parent and the adult into the outer world, I've got work to do. The other thing I will say is that oftentimes when my kids are still involved and you know you can say that they're driving the bus, you can say they're driving the car, I would say that as an adult, I don't have enough resilience yet to, to affect a change. But, but what I wanna say is, think of it this way. So I'm in a relationship with somebody and I'm getting triggered a lot. It's very common and possible that my inner teenager is looking to my partner to either do what he wants her to do or wants her to take care of him. And, and so to me, that is like, that doesn't end well, I promise. I've written lots of checks, three marriages. And so the job is for me to parent my children as a commitment to heal, to resolve those issues. So in other words, um, my teenager needs to be put on notice. That's where the tough love, and I got five minutes. Um, that's where the tough love comes in. And no, you know, this is something that's not talked about very much is, is my teenager doesn't belong in my adult behavior. And when I let my teenager know this, he wasn't too thrilled about this. But here's what I know to be true is when I parented my inner kids, my, my little people, my little guys came first. They were, they, once I had this panic attack, and I decided to do this work, they were not thrilled about it because they thought we would die if they had to feel. But after a while, they were thrilled that I showed up. They would like say, this guy might be serious. He, he might be serious. So that's, that's kind of, and I did that for a long time before my teenager showed up. But then when my teenager showed up, he's a little bit different. You know, he's a little bit different. He, he doesn't need me. He's fine. Thank you very much. Anyway, so, and, and, and this isn't like the movies, and I know it's not like the movies. The stuff I'm describing to you happened over long periods of time. And a daily commitment to, to, to spend time with my kids. But, but with the teenager, the, here's what I know to be true about my teenager, and this might be helpful is I've got this, mine wasn't defined as much as he just thought I was irrelevant and he had other ideas about everything. Um, but then I started to talk to these guys as if they were real people, you know? And I said to my teenager, what's it like being you? What do you mean? It's like, you're constantly on the lookout. You're hypervigilant, you're looking, you know, somebody's gonna be, you're suspicious of everybody. I mean, so I started to make the case that that's not necessarily how life is. And here's what happened to me is spending thoughtful, loving time. And I'm not hugging him. He doesn't want to be hugged. Let's get real at first. But I do think just like my little kids who had a broken heart at the bottom of everything with my little kids, is they just wanted someone to love them. Somebody love me. That's just somebody. Can you see me? Can you see me and can you love me? So what I found out is underneath my teenager, under his defiance and, you know, he had a broken heart too. 
he had a broken heart too. And when I got to his broken heart, things started to really change. And what I mean by that is, is in, you know, so to me, I have a formula. I used to be a math major and I'm, I'm no longer a math major. I just, it just was too hard to keep all that stuff straight is I have a formula called wholeness. And to me, it's a formula. Wholeness to me also means thriving adulthood. It also, it also means a resilient adult. So wholeness equals unconditional self-love plus measurable, keyword, measurable integration. Because integration is a term that's thrown around a lot and they really don't define it. And that like pissed me off. Like if you want me to integrate something, what does it mean? And how do I do it so that I know if I've done it, that I've done it. So it's unconditional self-love plus measurable integration plus measurable individuation minus critical voice. And, and so I'm out of time. So I'm going to kind of have to land this thing. And I'm pretty grateful because I usually don't land on time. Um, I can't begin to tell you what an honor it is to, to sit with you. You could be doing anything else. You could be watching NBA basketball. If you're a basketball fan, you could be, you know, who knows? So to me, choosing to tend to this wound or this, this condition, because it is a condition and it's, it's diagnosable and, and it's, it, it's in the book of, I forget what they call that MD, that book of medicine or whatever it is. It takes real courage to do this work. It really, really does. And, and so um, I wish you the best. I, I hope this was helpful. Um, um, I always enjoy telling the truth and I'm open to questions. I'm not sure that's the deal, Dottie, but um, anyway, I really appreciate you listening and I wish you a very happy holidays and a prosperous new year.